Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And George will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons What's up guys? Welcome to the Walk-Ons Podcast It is Friday, June 4th We've got a killer show for you guys today Obviously some NBA playoffs We've got an awesome guest Charlie Arviso the associate AD at Kansas University. Also a quick shout out, actually a couple quick shout outs here before we start the show. My French Bulldog Roger, AKA Chichi Rodriguez, AKA Chancho Libre, AKA Dr. Strawberry, AKA Mr. Baby Sweetie. He turned two yesterday. I love you, buddy. Happy birthday. And also a huge shout out to my UC Santa Barbara Gauchos. The D1 baseball tournament started today and they're down in the Tucson regional with Arizona. They smoked the Oklahoma State Cowboys 14 to four in their first game. So they're in the winner's bracket. Well done, Chos. And with me as always, Andrew Schuster. What's up, buddy? Not too much. I mean, my birthday is actually tomorrow. Where's my lovely introduction? Like Couldn't that? care less. Couldn't care less. How old are you? Is it 35 tomorrow? How many? Be 25 tomorrow. I can rent a car. All right. 25 is big. Yeah. Okay. That's all right. Happy birthday, buddy. I guess that's fine. If it was 26, 27, couldn't care less. But <laughs> Andrew, let's, let's go to the big, big story of the day. It's really, I mean, it's the NBA playoffs. We're in full swing. We've got one last series to be decided. Game six, Mavericks, Clippers tonight. But last night, the Lakers, LeBron, his first ever first round playoff exit. And boy, did he look like, speaking of couldn't care less, that mother, that mother effer looked like he could not care less playing defense in the last two and a half minutes. I mean, he's arguing with the refs. He's walking back. He's leaving open threes to Jay Crowder, who's just salsa dancing in his face, which is probably the best ejection I've ever seen in the playoffs or in the, in the sport in general. But what's your take on, you know, just that, that series in general? I mean, are you, are you surprised that the Lakers went down and are you, I guess at all surprised by LeBron's sort of attitude in that loss? Yeah. I mean, that it's like such a fascinating game from a variety of reasons. Obviously there's the, the caveat of, Oh, Anthony Davis was hurt, but at the same time, like they were destroyed the last two games. Like the, the Lakers did not look at all like they should even be in the playoffs and they lost one player. So I, like, I really do wonder like would Anthony of Davis really made that much of a difference or would his presence have made it more competitive, but the Suns still would have won. Also, like, yeah, like, where does this rank with LeBron's, like, playoff performances? Like, can we really hold it against him that he was playing with these schlubs? I mean, Dennis Schroeder had zero points in game five. Like, it's just I, – I think my main takeaway is let's just relish in the fact that LeBron is out and the Lakers are out. We don't have to hear about them. But then we're just going to have to see what the front office does. Who do they prioritize in keeping? I mean, Kyle Kuzma might be going straight to China. I don't think another team's going to want him. <laughs> it's just – I, my my main reaction was just let me just enjoy this and uh you know I just know LeBron's not going to get criticized the same way someone else would if they're in the same situation yeah I absolutely love that you know when we were offline our producer Seamus sent us this uh this great text a uh, tweet in terms of tweets that did not age well uh Hoop Central asked on November 3rd of last year name an NBA player you think will take a giant leap this season LeBron James just says Kyle Kuzma explanation point uh yeah that didn't really work out and certainly I mean it 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 looked LeBron looked like one of those dudes who you know you you go to 24-hour fitness and you play some pickup and you you see the four four guys that you're you're slotted in with and you're like oh god we're screwed and you you get down you know nine to three and you just say screw it I'm just gonna start walking up and down but 
I guess the the interesting thing is, right, you know, LeBron's always kind of had, I don't want to say a bit of an attitude, but he's had, he's got a personality, right? And it, it makes him the biggest star that he is, but it's also, it, he wears his heart on his sleeve like nobody else I really have seen on the court. Maybe West, Russell Westbrook would be the other one, but I mean, for a guy who is the, one of the greatest players of all time, certainly the greatest player who's alive right now, who's playing in this league, just, you know, taking a, a little ticky-tack foul when they're down 10 or 11 in the last couple of minutes, just arguing with the ref while the play is going on at the other side and the Lakers are playing five on four. And then a possession later, he's standing in the key while his guy, Jay Crowder, is standing behind the three-point line, hits a wide-open three. It's ball game. And then after the game, he says, well, when he's asked about, the, is he going to play for the Olympics? He says, well, I'm going to play for the Toon Squad. I mean, Michael Jordan, I, I hate the Michael Jordan, LeBron James, or who's better, who's better. But you cannot tell me that if Michael Jordan was losing by 10, 15, 20 points at the end of a deciding game and his team was going to get eliminated, that he's not in somebody's back pocket until triple zeros. LeBron James is just out there walking around like, like a little baby, like who got his binky taken away. It's ridiculous. I don't know. I mean, LeBron's the toughest athlete I've ever seen. He got poked in the eye and was only down for three years. And so, you know, I don't agree with anything you have to say tongue-in-cheek obviously um he uh I mean LeBron is all about he's obviously a, a top five Mount Rushmore player definitely the best of this generation but he's always been so obsessed with his own self-narrative that when things are going right for him he relishes in it he he pumps up the the odds he had to overcome to make things happen and then when things like this happen and he falls flat on his face it's just he just doesn't you know take kind of responsibility for the things that he was at fault at in their lack of success so it's just with him it's when things are going great, he's all up in your face. He wants to let you know that he's overcoming so much adversity. And when things don't go great and he can't overcome that adversity, it's just a different person. And we just, we know that's LeBron's thing now. So. Yeah, that's LeBron's game. And I think, you know, the thing that's maybe slightly lost in the narrative of this, and we're, we're guilty of it right now in this show is how well the Phoenix Suns played. I mean, Devin Booker absolutely obliterated them last night. Chris Paul, uh, certainly, I mean, probably the biggest signing of the offseason, uh, you know, for, for Phoenix, he, he really has turned them into a legitimate contender. And, you know, Chris Paul got hurt uh, in what was that game two? And he's come back. Who knows how hurt he was? He's got a little bit of an acting thing, too, which is kind of odd since he's best friends with LeBron James. But, um, you know, he came back, he balled out and he, he let the people know at the Stable Center, you know, he was back. And, uh, I think the Phoenix Suns deserve a lot of credit and they are going to have their hands full with your boys, the Denver Nuggets, which is actually a great leeway into what was an awesome series. And Andrew, you and I were, were texting offline uh, a couple days ago. I think that was game five when Damian Lillard went just absolutely stupid. He went simple Jack on the, on the game. Uh, certainly had a, a tougher game, game six. Um, but what do you make of, that series in general, right? Not just like Nuggets, Blazers, head-to-head, -head, but uh, sort of the Damian Lillard factor in terms of, you know, how he carried a team from the Blazers that really didn't seem to have any business being in that series, but they hung around for a lot longer than a lot of people think they thought they would. I mean, I, I my, big, my biggest takeaway was just, I think that's the end of the Blazers as we know it. And that can mean a variety of things. I think it's the worst kept secret that Terry Stotts is gone. Um, and obviously they're going to change things. I don't know if you heard Yusuf Nurkic's comments last night, obviously with Dame's comments, I think it was pretty clear to everybody 
that they are not going to be bringing back the same team next year, whether that means Dame is traded and they're doing a full rebuild or they just get everybody out of there except Dame and say, like, tell us where we should go with you. Who do you want the head coach to be? There's just a variety of things that they could do, but I think it's pretty clear the model they've been rolling out there with him and CJ and trying to go guard heavy and, you know, take that to the promised land isn't going to work. So that was, I, I think, the biggest takeaway from that, that loss last night specifically. Yeah, it's, it's seriously not, it's certainly not working, seriously not working as well. But, you know, I guess the interesting thing from that standpoint is it's not going to be the same Blazers team, but this four-year, $160-plus million extension that Damian Lillard signed kicks in next year. So they have him until 2025. So they better figure out something to, to make that team legitimate, right? Because Damian Lillard showed in this series that he is one of the best players in the NBA. He's a guy who, I mean, you look at the, the tweets after game five, and these are like Kevin Durant. Uh, I mean, big, big, big names across the board. Patrick Mahomes, guys who are at the top of their craft in any sport are saying Damian Lillard is stupid. Nobody can do anything like Damian Lillard can do. He is a true transcendent player, uh, but they haven't been able to get over the top. So, I mean, what is the move for Portland in your mind? I mean, wh what do they do to turn this around? They, they, they don't have a first round pick this year because they gave it up in a trade. They lost a second round pick as well. So, I mean, it's not like they're going to get somebody in the draft. And, and we had, we had a guest on a, a couple of weeks ago, who's a, a Portland man. And he basically said, nobody wants to come to Portland. So they're not going to sign any free agents. So, I mean, is this, is Damian Lillard, destined to be mired in mediocrity for the rest of his career well Destin's hard to, to describe because he has been the one that's been so adamant about wanting to stay in Portland and you know he signed the extension and obviously it's a ton of money so there's that like that's an that's incentive enough to sign an extension but he knew what he was getting into and he knows the challenges that come with playing in a small market and I'd love to see him thrive there just because even though I think the, the Blazers and the Nuggets have a pretty intense rivalry right now, there's still that notion of like the small market team overcoming the adversity and, and competing with the, the larger markets. But like you said, they don't have a first round pick. They are kind of stuck with these bigger, higher price guys. Um, you know, I, I think their next move is obviously let's see if they can get any value from a column because he does have value put in the right situation. I think they need a kind of a more productive wing player that has length and I mean, they were basically rolling out three guards in this series with, with Lillard, McCollum, and Norm Powell. And then I think they have to find someone else to, to you know, play in the, the, the center position because Nurkic is effective, but he just fouls out. Yeah, <laughs> you he know, his, his own way. He can't do anything but just smack you in the face as his defense. Um, and, you know, when you're playing, especially in the Western Conference with AD, with Gobert, with Jokic, you have to be able to have someone that can, you know, keep up with them and, you know, you literally saw the X factor was once Nurkic was off the court, Jokic could literally do whatever he wanted. And that was, that was basically it. The games were, he was in foul trouble. The Nuggets, you know, pulled, pulled it off. Right. Which is also a, a huge shout out to, to Jokic, which, I mean, that, that guy is an absolute stud. He's, he's going to be the MVP. He should be the MVP. He is one of the best players in basketball, which just boggles the mind because of how slow he moves. Man, man, that guy is smooth. And, you know, for, from the Portland from Portland standpoint, you know, you've heard the Jason Kidd rumors may see, maybe replacing Terry Stotch, which cue the eye roll, which is ridiculous. But I, I do want to give credit to your Nuggets. I think they were, uh, you know, that that is a good team. I can only imagine how much better they would be with Jamal Murray, but I don't think this this series would change any bit with Jamal Murray because, from my standpoint. The ball, the ball is always going to find Jokic regardless. Jamal Murray was that guy who's going to score 
when Jokic was maybe double teamed or whatever else. And, and I'm not taking anything away from Jamal Murray, but you talk about guys like this is good for you too, Andrew talk about guys like Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. Who hit what five threes, six threes in the first quarter last night, the, the absence of Jamal Murray will honestly make the nuggets a better team going forward because of the emergence of, of some guys like guys like, you know, uh, MP3 and, uh, and Monty Morris, who really came along and played really, really well. But I don't, I don't think even Jamal Murray being there would have changed his series one bit. Uh, you, don't, you don't bring up any bad points at all. I agree. They actually had a lot of guys step up. I mean, Austin Rivers, Marcus Howard hit shots in this series. Michael Porter Jr. obviously went nuclear last night. I mean, they, they got guys to make shots when it mattered. But what Jamal brings is not only just his ability to make shots in the playoffs, as we all saw last year, but it's kind of that, like, he's the emotional leader. Because obviously, as much as Jokic is the best player, the, the kind of the dog in that, in that, you know, on that team that kind of keeps everyone in, focused in, in, in moments of high stress is Jamal. I mean, there's a reason last year in the playoffs, he was the one hitting all those dagger shots, you know, going at it with Donovan Mitchell. And so, and the other thing, too, is we're missing Will Barton. We're missing P.J. Dozier, who the, one's a starter, one's a Everybody's really important missing role player. Somebody, man. No, I know, but let me just hear me out. I mean, we, we, we played that series with, Austin Rivers, who was not on the team six weeks ago, and two guys on two-way contracts at the guard position against the Blazers, who we just said are probably the most guard-dominant team in the Western Conference from, like, you know, like I said, Norman Powell is even a guard in some 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 respects. So it's just, you know, I, I agree. They, they, they still would have won the series, but it, it might have been a sweep. It might have been a five-game series, and it may not have been as close as it was in some of these games. But I agree Jamal Murray's presence will probably be more – you know, felt or his lack of presence we felt in the next series against Phoenix. Yeah, definitely. L listen, I, I told my buddy just as much, which is, is mind boggling that a guy like Austin Rivers, who's talented, but yeah, he's kind of erratic. I mean, the guy was on a 10 day contract a couple months ago and now he's, he's in, in crunch time in the playoffs for a potential NBA finals team, which is just insane. I mean, that kind of stuff happens. It seems like every year where a guy who he's looking to get onto a team and next thing you know, he's in the rotation, not only in the rotation, He's in meaningful minutes at the end of games in the playoffs, which he, he played very, very well. So I'll give you that, but we're going to just pull the plug on that because I just cannot keep going with you on, on the Denver uh, narrative here. But it's going to be a fun series, Phoenix, Denver. We'll get more on that next week. Let's put a bow on this NBA thing. with. Let's look ahead because, look, actually, no, let's not look ahead. Let's look to tonight. Let's look ahead to tonight. Who do you got? Mavericks, Clippers, game six. Luca has been playing out of his mind. Luca seems to be hurt. He definitely does not look very good. He, I mean, what? He went for 42 and 10 last, a couple nights ago and said he could have played way better. He looks, you know, I guess hurt, but he's still a stud. I mean, who, who do you like tonight? Well, conventional wisdom would suggest that because the game is in Dallas and all the road teams have won, LA is going to win tonight. But I, I do like Luca. I think that I think the uh, the Mavericks, whether they win tonight or Game Seven, are going to win this series, and it really is going to be kind of that exclamation point on that Clippers team that two years ago was supposed to be the new top dog and has been anything but. And I think we're just all waiting for the moment where they go, "This was a bad experiment. We should have never tried this," and you know, let's blow it up. Yeah, on paper, it looks like a great experiment. I mean, you got two of the top ten players in the NBA, but the, the Paul George being one of those guys who has played better, uh, certainly better than he than he did in the bubble, where he earned all kinds of uh, of hate there. But yeah, the Clippers are the Clippers until they're not. 
And I'm just going to take that. I'm going to take Dallas tonight. Luke is going to go off. He's going to get 45 and Boban is in the starting lineup tonight, which, you know, that's that basically just pulls the plug on the Clippers. Sorry. See you later. All right. We're out of time for this segment. We are going to throw to our interview. We've got Charlie Arviso coming up next. Don't go anywhere. All right, our guest today here is a true sports, sports lifer. He's a former exec of the Los Angeles Clippers, former assistant AD at Arkansas. Now he's the associate AD at Kansas University. Charlie Arviso is our guest. How are you, Charlie? Great, man. Great. How are you guys doing today? Oh, we're doing very well. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, hey, let's jump right into it. One of the big stories around college basketball, of course, Coach K retiring at Duke. He's going he's, he's gonna to come into his final, his 42nd season. He's going to do the, the farewell tour. Uh, you know, that will certainly be good for him before he hands off to co head coach John Shire, head coach in waiting. Uh, obviously, it's an end of an era for Duke, uh, Duke sports and college hoops in general. Roy Williams has already retired back in April. Uh, from a guy from your standpoint, right, we've got some of these sort of old guard coaches who are stepping down. Who in your mind is your KU guy, right? So you got Bill Self there, but who in your mind is kind of that Mount Rushmore of the big time coaches left in college basketball? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been a great run, you know, obviously for Coach K. And uh, I, I grew up with him uh, at Duke, obviously, but I knew he was at Army for a while with uh, Coach Knight uh, before that. Uh, but, yeah, definitely end of an era. As far as now, now it, Bill Self has to be up there, definitely. Um, and being around basketball as much as I have at the Clippers uh, and at Arkansas and now here in Kansas, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, there's no better coach that I've seen um, as far as X's and O's, as far as uh, execution, all the types of things that you need from a basketball coach, discipline, but also the players love love him. They love playing for him, but he, he's definitely up there. Other guys that I, I would think that are right there with him, uh, Chris Beard, who uh, just recently moved from Texas Tech over to Texas. That's a huge move for Texas, I believe. Beard did a lot down there uh, for Texas Tech and with all the resources now that Texas has. He's going to be like a kid in a candy store. And uh, I think he's really going to do well over there. You know, I mean, Tom Izzo is still coaching, and I think he's still up there. Uh, if he wins another one by chance, I, I think he'll be he'll be right there uh, with all the other great names. And then newer guys, uh, you know, Mick, I'm a UCLA guy too. So uh, Mick Cronin, I think, I think that guy is kind of in the mold of a Bill Self kind of guy. So uh, I, I think all those guys, Cronin, Izzo, and then obviously Self is definitely up there. So... What about uh, Mark Few or Tony Bennett or Jay Wright? Any of those guys have anything that you know, strike your interest? Yeah, I mean, Few obviously he, he's he's done he's done a, a tremendous amount with probably fewer resources. Be, being on the business end of sports, it's it's really interesting to see how coaches how well they do uh, with the resources they have. But I also now knowing a little bit more, thinking about Gonzaga and probably the, the West Coast Conference in general. I mean, you recruit, you're recruiting people to go to uh, Eastern Washington to play in Gonzaga. I mean, come on, <laughs> I mean, that's a tough sell. That's a tough sell. But I mean, obviously, he's built the program, and, he, and people are gravitating towards there. I think with him, with you, I think the biggest thing has been his uh, influence on the international players, specifically in Europe, obviously, and, and getting that pipeline going. So once you once you find the right guys over there that are singing singing the same tune you are. You know, you can set yourself up pretty well uh, for that. And I think one thing Gonzaga's helped Butte, especially, is a uh, lack of sponsorship money. Once right, right before COVID was hitting, there was a pretty big recession over there. And so a lot of sponsorship dollars went out the window. And there's a lot of these feeder teams for those European leagues that have, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds in their system and they couldn't afford to keep them anymore. 
So a lot of those guys came over to the United States to start playing, and, and Butte's been able to land a few of those guys. Obviously, it shows. Absolutely, yeah. No, and talking about one uh, West Coast team that's you know obviously dominated out there. Let's move on to the the team you used to work for, the Clippers, who. I wouldn't quite say they're dominating right now, but they have a ton of expectations and um, obviously they're still in it, but it's not looking great. What are your thoughts on the team right now and kind of how their performance in the playoffs has been? They're cursed. The curse is real, man. It's not even a goat there and they're cursed, you know? I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, last year was just terrible. Golly, it was hard to watch. Um, they're so talented. I mean, they got all these pieces, uh, but it doesn't seem like Leonard and George have really, you know, synced up together um it's kind of the same thing that happened with with chris paul blake griffin and deandre jordan really it was like you have three great players but they didn't play well as a team and i, and I don't know what again I, I haven't followed it nearly as much as i have when i worked there but it just seems like there's still a disconnect in the chemistry of the team and that's why they keep for some reason falling there's no reason why a team but two lockdown defenders like george and uh, Leonard, like they should be able to handle all aspects of the game, but for some reason they haven't found the right way to do it yet. So it's been really interesting to watch him not be able to succeed. And I wouldn't say it's all coaching, you know, <laughs> for a long time when I was there, uh, Donald Sterling wouldn't pay coaches. Uh, he, he's been out, he's been out of the league now for seven years. He's probably still not paying coaches, uh, but he, he, <laughs> we never, Vinny Del Negro was there. Um, I want to say it was like 10, 2010, 11, 12, maybe even 13. Um, and they let him go and they brought in Doc Rivers. Uh, the knock on Vinny was that he never got the Clippers past the uh, second round of the playoffs. And uh, we needed a coach that was going to get us to that to, over the hump to the next round. And uh, so they brought in Doc Rivers uh, and paid Doc Rivers $10 million a year instead of Vinny, who you're paying $2 million a year. Well, guess what? Doc Rivers never got past the second round of the playoffs either <laughs> for eight years, <laughs> nine years. <laughs> so, and that, the Philly's out too now, right? Did they get past the second round? Or no, they're still playing. They're still yeah, they're it some, somehow, some way, but yeah, I mean, they're going to they're gonna have their hands full certainly in the second round as well. But you, you, yeah. that's an interesting point, Charlie, right? So you were, you were there during the Donald Sterling era. Um, you know, you kind of left right when Steve Ballmer was taking over. Certainly, you mentioned, yeah, the Clippers are kind of cursed, but I would say those were probably even darker years under Sterling than we have now, right? They've kind of come out of it. But I'm just curious from your standpoint, you know, what was kind of life like working under that umbrella with Donald Sterling? And you guys had talent coming through the door, but it just never seemed to translate to wins. And you could point to, yeah, it's the ownership. Yeah, it's the coaching. Who knows? But, you know, I'm just curious to know what was sort of your experience like working with the Clippers under that, under that tenure? Yeah, it, it really, it's a, it's a tale of three cities, so to speak. You had the owner uh, and what he was doing and, 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 and doing his thing and <laughs> distracting as it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was crazy kind of being around during that time, especially if you're an employee. Uh, then you had the team and what they were doing, uh, whether they were good players or bad players, it didn't matter. Just, it, it just seemed like they were on their own planet doing their own thing. And then we had the staff. Um, and it really brought the staff together, have, knowing we had a subpar uh, product we were putting on the court at times, uh, having an owner that people just would throw darts at all the time. No one, no one liked the guy, <laughs> you know, he, he, had, he literally had to pay for his own friends to come hang out with him. 
can't imagine uh, why nobody liked him. <laughs> and that, but but it made it made all the people that I worked with at the Clippers during that time. And I was there. Uh, I started in 1998 at the sports arena. Uh, believe it or not, no longer there now. A soccer field, right? Um, and then and then at the Staples Center. Um, but it brought us all together uh, quite a bit more. So it, it was it was interesting. That Sterling was just he was in another world. Um, I, I used to say, you know, we saw a lot of homeless people around Los Angeles, and I it, it, we'd see a homeless person and we'd say, oh man, that guy's really weird. Uh, but Donald Sterling would come by with his billions of dollars and say, oh, he's eccentric. <laughs> the only difference between weird and eccentric is if you have money or not. And Donald Sterling was definitely definitely there. Not only not only just the way he, I don't know, just the way he kind of acted and the way. He'd always been that way, you know. People would always ask if he was is he drinking, is he on drugs or something like that. No, he doesn't do that kind of stuff. He's just a just a weirdo. He's an odd dude, man. An odd dude. And you know, he'd bring he'd bring his wife. Obviously, his wife would be a lot of the games, and but he'd have his girlfriends there too. And you know, from a ticketing standpoint, we know, hey man, make sure you don't uh put uh, Sterling's girlfriend too close to his wife over there. We might get in trouble over here. So it was always, it was always that dance we had to do sometimes with him. Uh, but he'd go walk, whenever you go walking through the offices, that was always the, the funny part because he never came to the offices. It wasn't like we were all working with Donald Sterling side by side. Uh, he had his, uh, he had his uh, office in uh, Off Rodeo Drive, I'm not mistaken, in Beverly Hills where he did most of his day-to-day -day work. We were at the Staples Center. But every once in a while, you come through the office and uh, talk about out of touch. I mean, <laughs> a good friend of mine at the time who uh, was a vice president there, uh, he had a really cool uh, trophy, or, a, or a, really it was like a Heisman trophy. It was like this really cool basketball player, bronze, heavy statue. And it was, it, it was given to him by a sponsor for some help that he did. And he displayed it proudly in his office. And, he was out of the office at the time, and Sterling, his entourage, came through the office, and he walked in and saw that, walked in the guy's office, had one of his assistants pick it up and take it with him, and never brought it back. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell, man? I, I get you own the team, but you don't know all, own all the stuff inside of it. <laughs> you know? So literally, whenever we know he's coming through the office, everyone's like, hey, hide your shit, man. Don't keep everything out. Sterling's going to grab it and walk away. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised with Donald Sterling, but, you know, you, you, one thing that you can't do without talking about the Clippers is you, you have to talk about the Lakers, obviously, because they're, they're living in their shadow. I mean, you just kind of talked about some of the dysfunction and the, and the tumultuous stuff going on in the Clippers. How much of that do you think is purely on the Clippers and how much would you think is influenced by the fact that they are living in the shadow of, of the L, you know, the NBA's premier team? Sure. Um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't feel it was as from a player standpoint and a performance standpoint, I don't think it really had much to do with that sharing the Staples Center. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it, the Staples Center was and still is owned by AEG, who owns LA Live across the street as well. So really, they own the Kings. So really, the, the Lakers and the Clippers were both tenants in there. Um, it, I don't think that part of it uh, affected it that, that much, having that in there now. The fans, obviously, they all looked at it differently, uh, and we looked like the little brother, and, and the Clippers were the little brother for a long time, um, and still are, because <laughs> we, 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 we can't get out of that shadow either way. So, I, But I don't, I don't think the players quite saw it the same way uh, most of the time. Um, 
you know, the NBA is such a player's league. All those guys are tight. You know, they, they play, they get a check. They, I, I don't, I don't think they care nearly as much as the name on the front of their Jersey as much anymore. They, 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 they worry about the name on the back of their Jersey more and more. And uh, that was definitely part of that dynamic while I was there um, because it's just so transient. The players would just go and be a hired gun somewhere. And, uh, but I, I don't, I don't think that the Lakers success uh, negatively affected affected the Clippers success. I just think the Clippers were just, they just made some bonehead moves, you know, at, at different times and draft picks that didn't work out. And, you know, I, like my first year there, it's a perfect example, um, 1998, the draft, uh, which included uh, Vince Carter, Anton Jameson, Mike Bibby. Um, you know, we take Michael Ola Candy first. I'm like, oh man, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I said, we want to sell if we want a, a good player, sell tickets, exciting. Let's pick Vince Carter. Nope. Can't, can't coach height. Let's pick all of a candy. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it didn't happen. So, you know, stuff, stuff like that. It's always going to continue to go down uh, like that for, for a long time. And then 0506, we got close with Elton Brand and Sam Cassell and uh, Katino Mobley, uh, Lamar Odom. Uh, uh, well, he, I guess he had left by then, but I, that that brand, that brand and Cassell team, Getty, uh, they were close. We, we were close there. Uh, Chris came and then, uh, but I, again, Benny couldn't get us over the top. You know, or, I'm sorry, that was Dunleavy at the time. Uh, Dunleavy can get us over the top. So, and then, <laughs> and then the yeah, I, just, I can go all, all day. For, how long? How long is this podcast? Uh, hey, as long as you want, man. The, floor the whole Kobe, here. the whole Kobe Bryant fiasco. Remember, he was dangling, leaving the Lakers and going to the Clippers. Uh, my buddy Ross Yoshida at the Dodgers will never let me live this down because I called him. I was like, "Hey, man, it's it's close. I think I think it might be a done deal. It might be announced that he, he's going to sign with the Clippers." Uh, but at the end of the day, he uses his leverage. He got a better deal with the Lakers, and that was probably the biggest. That was probably the biggest loss <laughs> to be with you uh other other clippers uh, the tenure when I, while i was there my tenure with the clippers was, was losing uh, out on that one so because i yeah. could change the dynamic that's know. interesting charlie because you know from a fan perspective I, I remember that vividly right where you know kobe he was kind of he was building his legacy there right and then you know as as whatever you want to call it a, a leverage play just kind of trying to you know put the lakers over over a hot seat you I didn't really ever think that there was a way that he was going to sign with the Clippers. It just didn't make sense with the way the organizations were, but inside that organization as someone like you who worked for the Clippers, you really thought that was as close as it could be to a done deal. I mean, yeah. Listening, listening to Mike Dunleavy at the time he was head coach, uh, Neil O'Shea was the uh, assistant GM or maybe the GM at the time. We're trying to remember now because Elgin was still there. Um, uh, Neil O'Shea is now in Portland and has built that team, you know, fairly well. So he was, he was, he was, he was really good. Um, but yeah, it, it, they, the way they were talking, the way the smoke coming out of that camp was, yeah, we, we, we're going to get them. And it, and it was close. And I, and if, if I, I believed them and, and up to the 11th hour, I think Kobe was really wrestling with it. Now some fans will say there's no way he was never going to do it. He was just using a leverage. He uses leverage, but I truly believe that Kobe up to the 11th hour was contemplating signing with us, you know, um, and, I, and I, I truly believe that it could, it could have happened, but. Wow. It didn't. 
No, that's incredible. I mean, you, you, you nailed it on the head, right? The casual fan is like, well, there's no way he's going to leave the Lakers for the Clippers. But yeah, in that organization, sound like there was there was a true belief that he was coming there. But hey, let's let's switch yeah. gears really quickly, Charlie, because I know you're a Cowboys fan, which is too bad because I'm a Niners fan. So that you know, we're, we're at odds right there. But look, we know it's much easier to build a championship roster maybe without paying a starting QB, but you also can't win a championship without a starting QB, right? That's the, that's the biggest price tag that you're going to have on anybody's team. You got to have a QB who's competent, who can take your team to a, to a championship. It also kind of hampers you from a rest of a roster standpoint, right? I don't know if Dallas missed their window on that or not, but certainly they, they paid Dak and I think Dak deserved it from a, from a player standpoint, but as a Cowboys fan, do you think paying him was the right move? Maybe the only move that they could have made? What do you think from that standpoint? I think the NFL now, uh, you know, to your point, demands a quarterback that for you to be successful. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm young enough to remember, uh, you know, Brad Johnson and Trent Dilfer winning, you know, Super Bowls, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, with great, with, you know, Baltimore, great defense and a running game and a good offensive line. To me, that's always been the thing. If I, I, I think if you pay the offensive line and defensive line, you get those guys right. I mean, us, us four can play, you know, and probably win some games for any team. Uh, <laughs> but, that out. <laughs> but I think, uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm dancing around because I don't want to answer the question. I, yes, I think they made the right move. I don't like it personally, but in today's NFL, he made the right move. And then the only justification you need to know really is uh, Tom Brady. You know, he is the greatest ever. Um, seven, seven championships. He, what, what did Tampa Bay go the year before he got there? Six and 10. Uh, yeah, they were not a good team. And, 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 and one guy, you know, and it's not just because it's his play, you know, it's because all of a sudden, you know, Antonio Brown wants to go play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, it's like he, he what it is. Yeah, it's that that player track. Where, yeah. yeah, guys want to come play for that quarterback. Right. Which is interesting. And I, I think guys want to come play for Dallas. And certainly you guys have built quite the offense, right? Ezekiel Elliott, you drafted C.D. Lamb. Michael Gallup is coming on. I mean, that that's an interesting offense. And I don't see that. I mean, certainly with Andy Dalton at the helm, it's, it didn't uh, quite hum uh, like you might want to see it. But you know, I, I don't. I don't see any. For me personally, I don't see any other options outside of paying Dak. Uh, who Who do you think maybe if you know if you were the GM, right? Theoretically, and you did you decided not to sign Dak, what kind of other options would you have explored? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I'm not sure who else was out there at that point in time. I think I think I I don't think the Cowboys had much of a choice because I think they built that team for. Dak. I think they, they, they built that car for him to drive. You know, it's the seat yeah. in the perfect spot, the steering wheels in the perfect spot. And, you know, all the, all the pre-tuned radio stations are ready to go. That, that's Dak's car. He's got to drive it. So I don't think they could have got somebody else to come in and do that. But they're doing so. Did they overpay? Absolutely. I think most of these quarterbacks are overpaid anyway, but I think they're spending the right money in the right position with him right now. So I don't know who's going to block for him, but <laughs> if you can block for himself, maybe. <laughs> the ankle's okay, so he can scramble. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me being old school, though. And I was an offensive lineman. I don't know if you can tell or not. But. There you go. I love it. Actually, I, was actually a I was actually a linebacker, and I ate my way to guard. That's what I <laughs> Yeah, I love it. But, uh, you know, speaking about paying players, I'm going to, you know, change gears just a little bit. But utilizing your background with both college sports and professional sports, the uh, name, image, and likeness thing is obviously a huge development in the coming years with – you know, college players potentially getting to, you know, make a living, not make, necessarily make a living, but earn money off of their 
contributions. You know, I'll leave this kind of open-ended. Just what do you kind of think of the whole situation? Are you for it? Are you against it? Um, are there things you'd like to see done that, you know, may not be in development? Like, what are your thoughts, essentially? Uh, you know, I, I think it's been coming for a long time. You know, I, I, I think people, uh, people that still think, it, it, I feel there's a place for the, the true student athlete who's there for the, the, the univer university experience and, oh, by the, you know, education, degree, becoming a, a, a holistic person. Oh, by the way, I play football or I play baseball or basketball or, or softball, whatever it may be. But let's be honest, the NCAA tournament generates a billion dollars. It goes back to general scholarship funds uh, and all the schools get a cut, but the NCAA is still making quite a bit of money off college or what they call amateurism or amateur athletes. It, it's time for us to look at a better model than that. Um, the NCAA has been fighting it off for a long time. And, you know, there's all sorts of coaches that are just getting beat up because of recruiting violations and sanctions and all those types of things for players that, that for really help, help, trying to help compensate players in a different way. And, and I don't, I don't feel that we should be holding that back. We should, we should be able to move forward with college sports and be able to, uh, compensate them. Now, I don't, I'm not saying just start paying them cold hard cash and call it a day. I always thought that the best way to do it would be like a 401k type situation, where if you're a, a, an incoming freshman and you go to a, a college to play football on scholarship and you're on national TV six times, then each time you're on national TV, you get, you get something put into your 401k. And that thing keeps growing the more times you're on TV. And you can, you can maybe borrow money against it. You maybe you go on Amazon and buy a, a certain kind of stuff that you need, or maybe the travel voucher to go home or, you know, any of those types of things, because at the end of the day, they are making money for the university. Um, the, uh, Alabama, when they won their second or third national championship, saving so good. Um, I think it was their second their enrollment went up 12 percent <laughs> uh, uh clemson their enrollment went up 15 percent when they won their football national championship like that's real money to the university you know and and the athletic department so players uh, be none of it. Say, you know you can't, you can't keep saying they're they're playing for an education and an experience of that they should be they should be thankful for that uh we're making money. Every every meeting I've been in since I was at Arkansas and at Kansas hasn't been, well, we might make the budget, we might not. Oh, well, you know, better luck next year. No, I mean, <laughs> I got my feet to the fire. I, I'm in ticket sales and donations. We have to continue to bring in money. If anything, COVID's taught us that, that, you know, we're, we're all up against it from a financial standpoint. So we're, we have to bring in more money. We run it like a business. We look at it like a business. And why aren't we paying the athletes uh, in the same vein? Uh, that 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 to me is that needs to be addressed and obviously taken care of. Now, from name, image, likeness, um, that's a whole different story, and it's it's going to be a, a boon for uh, student athletes. Uh, six states have passed their own legislation to get in front of any federal legislation that should be voted on in, in late June or July. Uh, that will set the table for everything else. But July 1, uh, I want to say Florida or Alabama, I think, are already starting whatever their program is going to be and how they're going to be able to roll out uh, 
being compensated for uh, name, image, and likeness. And so <laughs> with the transfer portal now, if, if you go somewhere and, and, and you're not getting paid because of name, image, and likeness, but some other state that passed a, a law is going to allow you to do X, Y, and Z and get paid for it, guess what? <laughs> you know, I'm transferring out. So yeah. this would be a huge advantage for those six states. I think California is an, another one too. So I, it's going to be a different dynamic now. It's not just I'm going to go to the best place for myself or school or where I get more playing time. You have to factor in now. Where's where else? Where else can I also uh, gain more money? You know, gain more opportunity, and, and that that's going to factor in a lot of these decisions. So I, I, I'm all for it. I think it should, I think it should be good as long as it's controlled, which we're not starting off on the right foot. So I think it eventually might be the wild, wild west for a while, but hopefully we rein it in and we get something that all the schools and all the states are on the same page. So you can't just cherry pick where you want to go knowing you're going to get more money. Yeah. Well, look, that, that is awesome stuff, Charlie. Honestly, as you're going through that, I, I've got probably a hundred questions to ask you that would take us uh, three or four hours, but we don't have that kind of time on the podcast. So I want to ask you one last question. Let's just flip it over to baseball because you had some good stuff on this. And we've been talking about this on the podcast for a couple of weeks now, right? Trevor Bauer, big, big personality right there with, with Los Angeles. And, you know, he's, he's kind of that guy from a pitcher standpoint who, you know, Major League Baseball in general has just been looking for a little bit of spice, a little bit of, of verve, a little bit of, you know, swagger, right? And Trevor Bauer from a pitcher standpoint gives us that. And this this sort of burgeoning uh, rivalry that we've got between the Padres and the Dodgers is really kind of taking off. They've got another uh, three or four game set coming up here in a week or two. Um, you know, a, about a month ago, there was that Tatis Jr. Bauer exchange, you know, the one eye thing when, when Tatis got him. Now, Bauer, he is he's certainly a lightning rod. I mean, people love him, people hate him. I respect what he's doing in terms of, uh, you know, if I'm going to celebrate when I strike you out, if you're going to take me deep, you can celebrate too, but you gave us some really good thoughts on just kind of this exchange and sort of where baseball is headed. I would love to just kind of get your take on that before we wrap this thing up. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the, the players, I mean, even MLB has been begging for that. I remember the uh, commercials that came out, I think it was 19. It was let the kids play or let, let, let the kids go or something like that. I thought that was great, you know, but it was obviously, you know, the, the, the offense going and guys hitting home runs and having fun and throwing this up in the air, throwing that up the air. And this is the pitcher's response. You know, it's like, Hey, well, if you're going to be doing that, guess what? I'll be, I'll be doing, I'll be doing this. I'll be, I'll be sheathing my sword every time I strike you out. You know, I think it's awesome. I, and I think it's great. And to your point, I think Bauer does a tremendous job, not only marketing himself through social media, um, but also engaging, uh, the media throughout the year and 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 he loves being the villain you know it's like it's almost like wwe now right it's it's like the bad guys and the good guys and uh, yeah they, they love they love to hate him so you know whatever whatever it is he's hey any publicity is good publicity right and uh, i think he's doing it, he's doing it the right way but I, I i love the fact that the pitchers are starting to push back a little bit now uh and and start that start a little bit with their antics so to speak i mean being a Dodger guy, uh, <laughs> 04, we had Jose Lima up there, and he was doing his uh, his crazy stuff there for a okay, while. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, I guy was a gamer, man. Love that guy was a gamer, but you know, I, I I think I think it's awesome to see what Bauer's doing, and, and all the pitchers that are, are able to do that now, because there's some there's some there's some damn good pitchers now. I mean, maybe it's the ball that's changed. Obviously, that's what he keeps talking about: the ball, the ball, the ball. 
uh, I think it has something to do with it, but um, uh, it, it's pretty cool what's going on with baseball right now. And it's engaging and, and people are watching it too. I, I feel there's more energy around baseball because of those things, which they've always, I think they've always needed a little bit of that. Yeah, I totally agree. I'd, I'd rather see a pitcher sheathing his sword when he strikes somebody out than throwing at somebody's melon who took him deep, you know, two innings ago. Like, <laughs> that's, that's not how you play baseball, you know? <laughs> Well, Charlie, I really we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. This was some really good insights, man. We loved having you on. Thank you very, very much. You got Thank it, man. You. Thank you. All right, our thanks to Charlie Arviso. That was some awesome stuff, especially related to the NL, NIL. Um, man, that was some really, really good insight. But I want to hit back on NBA. Andrew, when we were offline, all right, you are a Nuggets fan. They took care of the Blazers in – very impressive fashion. Now they've got the Suns coming up. Who do you think wins this series? Now, the Homer fan in me is going to say Nugs in four, but the objective sports analysis in me is going to say, I think considering the fact that Jamal Murray's shot making is not going to be prevalent, and as Devin Booker showed last night, the Suns very much have shot making on their side when they need it. And just considering the fact the Nuggets are also missing Will Barton, they're also missing P.J. Dozier, lengthy guards that would make much more of an impact against the Suns' guards. And the fact that the Suns do have home court with now fans actually making an impact on the playoffs, I'm going to go Suns in, in six. But I will say, if any team has shown that they can overcome and be resilient against odds stacked against them, it's the Nuggets. So I'm not saying that with 100% confidence, but I am picking what I think will most likely happen. And it's going to be, sadly to say, Suns in six. Wow, there you have it. Suns in six from my guy, Andrew, the Nuggets fan himself. I... I... I tend to agree with you. I think the Suns are a legitimate team, especially with Chris Paul controlling the game. It's uh, it's going to be a tough, tough road to hoe for, for your boys in the Nuggets. Jokic is going to have to average like 40 and 15 pretty much the entire time. And he, he's certainly probably going to get uh, Aiton in some foul trouble. And there, there isn't a lot of depth there on, on Phoenix's side. But um, yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and I applaud you for taking the objective view to that. But hey, let, let's jump over to the Eastern Conference, right? Let's look at the Boston Celtics. So they're done. They got taken care of by the Nets. Everybody kind of saw that one coming. But the big story out of Boston is Danny Ames stepping down. Brad Stevens is going to take his place as the pre president of basketball operations. Now they're looking for a new coach. What's sort of your take on what's going on over there in Boston? Well, when I first saw the headline, my first question was always like, what the hell? And then my second question is, spill the tea, Boston. Clearly, there's some like drama here. Like, there's no way this was a natural progression of thought where it was like Danny Ainge is going to step down and then Brad Stevens made the most sense. I feel like there had to be some weird stuff going on behind the scenes where they were like, you know, the only way we keep Brad here is if we, we elevate him to the front office and they just value his mind so much that they were like, Danny, you know, it's been 18 years. See ya. I mean, it just, there's, there's too many odd things at play. It's the Celtics, the, the premier franchise, especially in the Eastern conference, they could go get whoever they want. I just, it was one of those where you, you really just, the more you thought about it, the weirder it seems. And I still quite can't, can't wrap my head around it. And I you know, still don't even know what to expect with, with Brad Stevens in, in the front office role. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought that was, I'm not going to lie. When I saw the headline that Danny Ainge was stepping down, I thought, okay, great. They're going to, they're going to replace him in the front office. And then I, I realized, oh, I saw something on ESPN and said, well, who's going to replace Brad Stevens as coach? Like, did they fire him? No, they, I, they promoted him, which, yes, Brad, Brad Stevens has a very interesting mind from a basketball standpoint. He's a guy who's, 
who has been a coach. He's been a very successful coach, which I think is probably something that's very valuable in the front office, right? You know what you're looking for in a coach, in a system, how you're going to run guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, Boston is kind of in this, this sort of treadmill scenario where you've got Jason Tatum, you've got Jalen Brown, who's really, really come on. Um, you've got Kemba Walker, but you really don't have enough to get over the best teams in the East. And I mean, the, the worst thing that you can do in the NBA, and we've talked about this before, is be mired in semi-mediocrity, right? Where you're making the playoffs, you're the six, seven, five, six, seven seed, and you never really make it there. And so you're drafting in 22, 24. You don't really get somebody who's going to really change the change how you do your thing from an offensive standpoint or from a, just a team standpoint. So what do you do, right? You, that's That's been the the way the NBA is, is sort of structured now. You either suck you tank you get a top 10 pick and you you turn the franchise around and you sign some free agents or you know you, you go you go for gold and if you if you if you sh shoot short you still have your stars ahead of you so I, I think it's kind of an interesting thing where Boston is it I, I, I kind of think they're in no man's land they're kind of in a bad spot I think Brad Stevens is going to make the right choice there's going to be a lot of options certainly we'll see you know there might even be some coaches available from teams who are still playing in the playoffs as teams kind of reevaluate what they're doing. But yeah, I think Boston's in a bad spot, but let, let's talk about the team that actually beat Boston, who everybody is looking at to win it all. The New Jersey, the New Jersey mm. Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, Brooklyn Nets, Milwaukee Bucks. I think that's going to be the best series maybe of the entire playoffs. What do you think? I think so. I mean, I think they're the two best teams in the Eastern conference. I know Philly's the one seed, but especially with Embiid having a torn meniscus, Yep. I just, I really think whoever wins this series is certainly going to go to the finals. And the way that both of those two teams played in their first round series, it's clear they're the two most dominant teams right now. Um, and granted, that might be against, you know, the fact that they were playing against subpar competition, but, you know, it just looks like adding Drew Holiday to the Bucks was kind of the missing link. Um, and then obviously the Nets, the big three finally came out to play and they looked incredible. And so I think this is just one of those series where it's really going to dictate, I think, the rest of the playoffs is, what happens here? And then obviously, you know, we're going to get a real chance to see who's really up to snuff. Yeah, I agree. I, I think this is one of those classic, the finals before the finals, right? Whoever wins this series is going to be the Eastern Conference representative in the NBA finals. I, I just think that's pretty clear at this point. Uh, no, no ill respect to the Hawks or the Sixers, but these are the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, as you said. Uh, I think it's an interesting matchup from the standpoint where okay who guards Kevin Durant is it Giannis is it Chris Middleton is it Dante DiVincenzo I'm not sure but if it's me I'm putting Giannis on KD all day and you're going to let the other guys try to make their play because you put Drew Holiday on Kyrie Irving they're going to make their lives kind of a living hell and it could be a really really interesting series from that standpoint if they're able to at least slow them down you're not going to stop those guys and make James Harden kind of do his thing from an ISO standpoint. But Dante DiVincenzo is a really underrated defensive player. I think this is a very interesting series. I think it goes seven. My head says it's probably going to be the Nets, but my heart says I think Milwaukee has a as good a chance as anybody, Eastern Conference or Western Conference, to take care of the Nets. That's, that's all I can think of. Yeah, I, I like Milwaukee. I'm going to go Milwaukee in seven, and I think – I think Milwaukee's going to win the finals this year. I think the Drew Holiday thing really was, I mean, they Eric Bledsoe was just dragging them down last year. Not only did they get rid of him, but they actually added a guy who brings 
the, like probably the best guard perimeter defender in the NBA and you put him on a playoff team, that's such a skill that's important to have to succeed in the playoffs. And, and like you said, if there's anyone who really can contain Kevin Durant, it's Giannis. So, you know, if there really is a team that's going to do it, it's going to be Milwaukee. Yeah, he was, he was built to guard Kevin Durant. That's, that's the guy you want on Kevin Durant. And, yeah, they're, I mean, I, I cannot wait to see that battle. And, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, the second he goes to New Orleans, they're the worst defensive team in the NBA, which is you – know, maybe that's Stan Van Gundy. Maybe that's Eric Bledsoe. Maybe that's a, a little bit of everything. But um, it certainly speaks to, to the guy. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Let's go to our dudes and does of the week. And I cannot stress enough how big of a dude – this is right here, and it's something that the MLB finally did right. Uh, it's their an- inaugural Lou Gehrig Day on June 2nd, which happened a couple of days ago. It's to raise awareness for ALS, commemorating, commemorating the date of Lou Gehrig claiming, to, claiming a starting role with the Yankees in 1925, passed away, of course, in 1941. They honor the late Pete Freights, who kickstarted the Ice Bucket Challenge, which everybody knows and, of course, loves, included form- former Saints player Steve Gleason. He's battling the disease as well. But this is also extremely near and dear to our hearts as uh, walk-ons, the podcast. This podcast would not exist with our friend John Carlin, longtime sports booker of Jimmy Kimmel, one of my best friends, one of our producer, Seamus's best friends. Andrew, you're doing a, a, an autobiography on him. John Carlin is one of the best human beings of all time. Again, the show would not exist without him. The guests would not come without him. Everybody knows him. Everybody who knows him loves him. It feels like everybody on the planet knows him. But if anybody out there is looking to help out, you can help by bidding on MLB gear at auctions.mlb.com or donating to ALS research through the Massachusetts General Hospital. That's at MGHN Neurology. Healy Center for ALS Research. And let me read that again. It's at A, excuse me, at M-G-H Neurology. It's the Healy Center for ALS Research. It's a huge, huge deal. It's a terrible disease. It takes some of the best of the best from us. And our, our good, good friend, John Carlin, could use all the help in the world. He's a guy who would never, ever ask for anything. And so we're going to do it on his behalf because he's a guy who gives everything to everyone who's ever asked. And he has made a lot of careers, including my own. So um, definitely a huge due to the week. Get, get it, get up there. Auctions.mlb.com or on Twitter at, at MGH neurology. Check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Just to echo what Ryan said, not a nicer person on the planet than John Carlin. Uh, literally have been told by multiple people that he is the literal nicest man in Hollywood and having getting to know him it's it's absolutely true and this disease not could not have come to a you know a more or a less deserving person it's just it's tragic on every account so please please donate please you know show your support in any way you can Um, and good on MLB for doing this awesome initiative absolutely yeah we could not do it more but let's let's go to so I guess some lesser dudes uh, one thing I want, I want to toss out now we've got day one of, uh, the NCAA baseball tournament. Got a couple of guys that just deserve a shout out. Tim Elko of Ole Miss and Robbie Petracci, Petracci, excuse me, of Old Dominion. Both these dudes, big time hitters. They both tore their ACLs a couple months ago. They both hit clutch homers for their teams to drive them to the conference tournaments and drive them into the NCAA tournament. So, you know, I, I, I don't know how that works. I guess you can't play with an ACL in, in basketball or, or football, but apparently you can hit dingers with torn ACLs in baseball. So good on those boys. 
Yeah, and I'll give a for my kind of lesser due to the week, even though what he did this week was not lesser by any means, was Dame Lillard, who single-handedly made this series interesting with multiple nuclear performances. Uh, just, I think, literally the like top two or three all-time great playoff performance. Record for three-pointers made in a series. Record for three-pointers made in a playoff game. Just the dude is the only person who could even touch him when it comes to clutch shot making like that is Steph. And that just speaks it all. Um, fantastic guy off the court as well. I mean, he literally won the award for best teammate in the NBA this year. Um, I mean, he plays for a team that is a rival of my favorite team, and I have nothing bad to say about him. Just absolutely incredible performance, and it was a pleasure to get to watch. Yeah, absolute stud. And we've got some duds of the week for you, but we're not going to do that here. I'm just going to go back to our dude of the week once again. Help out John Carlin. Help out some of those folks fighting ALS, which is just a horrible disease. It, it's just it's something that nobody wants to see, and it's probably touched a lot of families out there. Check out so it's MLB inaugural Lou Gehrig Day, Lou Gehrig Day, which was June 2nd. Check out MLB Gear auctions.mlb.com you can bid on some great mlb gear there and you can help a great cause or donate to als research center research center through massachusetts general hospital at mgh neurology on twitter check it out find it donate help somebody i promise you you're going to feel better for it that's that's all we got today love you john carlin you're the man and uh prayers and, and love to all of you fighting ALS and the families who are affected by that. So that is it for the walk-ons. It's Friday, June 4th, 2021. We are out. The walk-ons.